Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor speaks of what trials produce in a believer's life. You will be hurt. You will be betrayed. You will be lied about. You, people will turn on you. They will undermine you. They'll break in and steal. They'll try to harm you, hurt you. And this is the world, gang. This is it. There's a vulnerability. But in the pouring and in the changing and in the movement, in the trials, genuine faith is being developed. Genuine faith. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set You know, we tend to think of trials as working against us, but what if I was to tell you they're actually working for us? Yep, that difficulty that you're experiencing can actually be used by God to produce something glorious in your life. We'll see what that is as we join Pastor Ed Tater in 1 Peter chapter 1 here on Abounding Grace. His message is titled, Trials Produce Precious Faith. Take your Bibles, would you open them to 1 Peter chapter 1 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Trials Produce Precious Faith. Trials Produce Precious Faith. We're following along with Peter, our pastor. He's writing as a pastor to a group that's suffering greatly and have been for some time. They're scattered. They're weary. They're tired. They're confused, they're perplexed, and they're going through some of the most difficult times in their lives. Trial upon trial upon trial, every area of comfort's being removed from them. The society in which they live has turned completely against the church. They can't look to help from the government. They can't look to help from the culture. They, they are very much on their own, as God intended. It wasn't just some ordinary type of persecution, but there were many who were trying to stop the gospel from spreading by attempting to wipe out those who were sharing it. And it's to them that Peter writes, pick up with me in verse 3 by way of review, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who, verse 5, are kept. Remember that word is so rich. You are protected. You are fortressed. There's a garrison of protection around you. You are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, verse 6, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. 
that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me read to you verses 6 and 7 in the New Living Translation. He says, So truly be glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so that when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Trials are an opportunity for rejoicing. So we've got the foundation of the gospel of grace, that our efforts, our energies, our works are not what keep us. No matter what comes our way, it isn't a call to work more, to work harder. It isn't a call to do more. It isn't a call to beat yourself up and be filled with regrets. No, it's, it's a call to be reminded in great trials of who you belong to, of the work of God in your life, that it's a blessing to be saved, that we have received mercy. God has born us. We're born again into a living hope. We have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, reserved. We have a heavenly inheritance waiting for us, and we're kept. Even when we feel like we've fallen away and we've run away, we're kept by the power of God. And in this, you, re you rejoice. It's good. It's, man, I'm happy. God is good. He's faithful. Even when I am faithless, He remains faithful. Even though you are facing many trials. For a little while. You might want to mark that. It's a little while. Our lives today compared to eternity, it's just a little while. Now, some of you, of course, this refers directly to your trial. Your trial is a little while. It feels like forever because you live it in every moment. It feels like forever because it's lasted months, not weeks. It feels like forever because it's lasted years, not months. It feels like forever because it seems as you reflect back upon your life that your life has one, been one big trial. But the Bible says it's a little while. It's a little while. Rejoice in the work of God for you, even if though for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. See, trials are an opportunity, an opportunity for rejoicing and reflecting. They're not an open door to complain, try to wiggle out of them, try to control them. God has allowed them. In some cases, he has literally sent you into the storm and into the battle and into the trial. God is sovereign. Remember, Jesus wrote a little note to the suffering church in Smyrna. Hold your place here. Turn back to Revelation, would you? In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus wrote a note to a suffering church. And his words are very encouraging because he knows you're suffering. He knows the suffering church. He knows the suffering marriage. He knows the suffering childhood. And if need be, you know, none of us ever think we need trials. Can I get an amen on that? It's like, oh, I want to grow. I think I'll buy the book. Okay, you buy the book, but you need trials. 
you know, I want to grow, but I think I'll listen to that Bible series again. Oh, you listen to the Bible study series, but I'll tell you what, you need trials. I need resistance in my life. Everything can't just go my way. I need, for the sake of my faith, to be genuine and to be purified and to reveal the glory of God. I need to go through trials, much like the suffering church here in Smyrna. Notice Revelation chapter 2 in verse 8. You'll notice in your Bibles, most likely these letters are in red. And whenever you see red letters in a Bible, the translators did that with the intention of reminding you that these are the words of Jesus. Now, the entirety of the Bible is inspired, but those times that Jesus, the Son of Man, spoke are highlighted in red. So here he is writing a little note to the angel or the pastor or the overseer of the church in Smyrna. Write, verse 8, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you're really rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but they're a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. So some of you, you need to take a pen out and underline that in your life. You don't need to fear some of the things you're about to suffer. It's almost like Jesus is saying, as bad as it is now, it's going to get worse, but you don't need to fear that. It's a part of life. You don't need to fear what you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison so that, what, you might be tested. and You'll have tribulation 10 days, but be faithful unto death. And I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. You're suffering for the right reasons, church. Don't think that because you're suffering, somehow you're a bad Christian. Or you don't have enough faith. Or you didn't follow the guy or the gal you were watching on TV. First of all, stop following the person that tells you that suffering is because of your lack of faith. You suffer and I suffer because suffering is normal. It is the normal lot in life. We live in a sin-soaked world, so we suffer on the level of living in a sin-soaked world. Then we suffer because of our own sinful decisions. Then we suffer for the sin of others. Then we suffer at times when it's a test to reveal the genuine. Sometimes we suffer because we bite the apple of temptation. Sometimes we suffer. I mean, we believers and unbelievers suffer. And when the church in Smyrna was suffering, Jesus didn't say, it's all your fault. He says, look, it's going to get worse. But stay strong. It's a little while. And then notice back in Peter, he says, greatly rejoice, though for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved. Now, I know that this is a word that is very familiar to those under the weight of trials. They're grievous. They're heavy. You can circle that word and write next to it, distressed. The idea of this word is that they're, they're just overwhelming. They're sapping life out of you. You're, you're just grieved and you're sad and you're tired. It's the same word that's used to describe the rich young ruler when he walks away from Jesus. It says in Mark chapter 10 verse 21, Then Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, This one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross and follow me. Because the rich young ruler 
chose not to take up his cross and follow Jesus, here's the result. He was sad at this word and went away sorrowful or grieved. He walked away grieved because he had a lot of possessions. He walked away grieved because he refused to deny himself. He walked away grieved because he valued something more than a relationship with Jesus. Our trials grieve us. Not only that, we also learn that trials come in various ways, verse 6. <laughs> various ways. Trials come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and types. All temptations and trials are the same. But family, it's important to remember the sovereignty of God. That we have the same God over the different trials. The church has faced a variety of persecution over the years. They faced persecution on a family level. They've, they've faced persecution on a cultural level. They've faced, I could say they, we could say we as the church have faced family persecution, cultural persecution. We've seen governmental persecution. We've seen even religion being developed by man to take advantage of man. Various trials. But we must remember that persecution has never permanently hurt the church and doesn't currently hurt the church. There's no need for us to throw up on our hands and say, oh no, the church can't progress because of this is happening or this decision was made. The church is not in submission to the whims of man. The church is the organism of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. And even after they thought they eliminated Jesus by crucifying him illegally, he rose again from the dead. Peter wants us to make sure. Jesus, when writing to Smyrna, wants us to understand, look, I'm Jesus and I rose again from the dead. What's, what are you facing lately? Uh, I'm the one, he says, I'm the one, we've been begotten again, back in verse 3, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Perhaps fear and anxiety has taken root in your life because you've forgotten the resurrection power of Jesus. You don't serve some lame, limp God that just like, oh no, what's happening down there? I don't know. Hey, what are we supposed to do? How are we going to respond? We serve the sovereign God. Nothing moves him. He's unchangeable. And when we find ourselves abiding in Christ, you're unmovable. And you can go through the worst of the worst things. You've been through various trials. You look back at your relationship with the Lord, you've had all kinds of things. They come in shapes and sizes. And when we look at the early church and the church in every generation, it seems like every time the church faced serious pressures, they grew from it. That there's spiritual growth internally and externally. You know, you're not the only one going through problems. You know that, right? Most of the world doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're going through the same thing you're going through without any hope. There's no hope. And, and where they place their hope, they're continually let down. So what happens in a time of crisis? I'll tell you what happens in a time of crisis. People start drinking more. Why? They don't want to feel the weight of what's happening in the world around them. What happens in a time of crisis? People start smoking more. They start snorting more. They start partying more. They start running more. 
They start visiting psychologists and psychiatrists. Why? Because there's no hope. They have no hope after eternity. They, they look at their philosophy and they look at their, their way, their worldview, and it brings them no hope. Evolution, the worldview, the predominant religion of secular culture, secular humanism, in a very general sense, evolution speaks of survival of the fittest over the years. But, but how does that play to the heart that feels weak and burdened? How does that philosophy pay to a person that says, you know, I don't think I'm going to make it through today. I don't know. I, I don't, I, I feel weaker than I ever have. I can't pay my bills. I've got all this debt. I followed the world the way that they, I followed the world system exactly as I was taught. I went to school, I got my degree, I entered into a career, only to find out it didn't satisfy me, left me saddled with debt, I'm stressed out, I've got, I just got sold, I just got laid off, I just got, I just got, and man, there's no hope. You see, believers, you entered into life, not death. You've been begotten again to a living hope. The worst thing that can happen to you on earth is that you lose your life. <laughs> That's it. That's the worst thing that can happen. Your last breath on, on earth will be your first breath in the presence of Jesus Christ. You'll be restored. You'll have a new body. All the aches and pains will be gone. You'll worship God. You'll be on your knees worshiping God, thanking Him for His faithfulness. You'll be crying out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You'll be so encouraged and so excited. For the believer, there's a blessed hope. The soon return of Jesus Christ will deliver us from these difficulties. Eternity awaits us. For many of us, we are expecting, there's a, there's like a, there's a struggle in our hearts because, man, in one breath, I want to be, I'll be in eternity right now. I want to be reunited with my boy, with my parents, with relatives. Man, I would do it in a heartbeat. My heart is already in heaven, so much of it. I, I want to be in the presence of the Lord. And yet there's a battle that I'm here now, so I want to be faithful here. I want to live and fulfill my purpose for whatever breath that I have. I want to be faithful here. I want to teach the truth here. And yet, if need be, the longer I stay here, the more trials I go through. I wonder if you too have that same wrestling you have that desire, like Paul said, to depart and to be with the Lord, be in the presence of the Lord. But to be here, he said to the Philippians, is more needful. It's more needful. And the longer we're here, the more trials we face. Various. Genuine faith, notice, in verse 7, is what God's working out in your life. That's what trials produce. There's a lot of different passages in the Bible that talk about what trials do in a believer's life. But here Peter wants you to know that the genuineness of your faith is being worked on. The genuineness of your faith. Have you noticed that genuine faith is rarely revealed in times of comfort and ease? When there's really no pressure, there's that tendency for us to want comfort and ease it doesn't make much sense for us to say, bring it on. We'll take all the trials. That, that's not a proper response to difficulty, although I do believe there is an embracing by faith. 
But we have this tendency to want to avoid anything that's painful, anything that's disturbing, or even anything that's new. How many times have we had to revisit this as a church constantly over and over again, trying to help everybody adapt to change, adapt to change. There's always changes, always changes, always changes, always changes. But some of you are thanking God for going through all these little changes as a church so that one, when one big change was dropped on you, you were ready for it. They go, okay, it's another one. Another opportunity to adjust my life to the circumstances that are around me. Why? So that I might greatly honor God in my life. So I won't waste my life fighting and complaining and pushing back on the sovereign will of God for my life. You might want to jot this down in your notes. It is God's will for you to suffer. You can write it down even personally. Uh, Pastor Ed said it's God's will for me to suffer. And if you want to add a little line, I don't like that he said that. Fine. But it's God's will. Don't think that. We'll learn that from Peter later on. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that's about to try you. It almost sounds identical to what Jesus told the church in Smyrna. It's going to get worse, but you're going to be fine. It's going to get worse, but you're going to be fine. And in that tendency for us to seek comfort and ease, when we find it, then we want to settle down in it. We're gaining a godly perspective for seasons of suffering today on Abounding Grace. Trials are an opportunity for rejoicing and reflecting. The genuineness of our faith is being developed through it all. It's a good word for us today, as many of you are no doubt experiencing pain and suffering even as we speak. You can hear this message from Ed Taylor again when you go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Well, Pastor Ed, we've sort of made it a tradition in recent years offering the case for Christmas to our listeners during December. What's so special about this book, and why is it a must-read? Well, you know, Christmas time, Larry, is that time where most of the world is looking, talking, thinking about Jesus Christ. Uh, many, many of us add services at our churches to make room for all the visitors. The decorations are up. Sure, there are things that are used in celebration of Christmas that have nothing to do with Jesus, for sure. But that's the whole beauty of the case for Christmas. It becomes a little tool. It's very inexpensive, very small, and it's a tool that you can put in all of your gifts. It's a tool that you can put as stocking stuffers. It's a tool where you can buy 10, 15, 20 of them and give them away at the office. And I think it's such a a tremendous opportunity to use Christmas as an outreach, use Christmas as a bridge builder, use Christmas as a time, not like in their face, don't you know the true meaning of Christmas, but rather, hey, would you be interested in knowing uh, where Christmas comes from and what the essence of it is and all the talks and um, opinions about Christmas? And this little tool can do the talking for you. Lee Strobel does such a great job and it's small, concise, easy to read. So here's the deal. If you want to support Abounding Grace, great, do that. But if you go to our store, calvaryco.store, calvaryco.store, you can order multiple copies. And then remember, anytime you get anything from calvaryco.store, all the net proceeds go to missions. So not only are you getting tools for the for the ministry, but then you're also being able to 
support our missionaries. And we got missionaries all around the world, from Aurora to the ends of the earth. Uh, so uh, if, if you want to get them in bulk, um, you know, you could always Google it and find out, too, what, what's available out there. But if you want to support missionaries, we'd love to receive it, get them out to you as soon as possible. You want to support Abounding Grace, great. But use it. That's the whole thing. The whole purpose of the picks of the month are to get good resources in your hands and to know that you can grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you could trust the resources that we recommend. So good. That's The Case for Christmas, and we'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call right now, toll-free, 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE, or go to calvaryco.store. Also remember that it's through your support that we're able to bring Abounding Grace to your radio station every day. With your help, countless thousands of people are hearing the truth of God's Word all over the nation and world. At a time in human history where they really need to hear it, too. We can be reached toll-free at 877-30-GRACE, or you can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow when we'll dig deeper into 1 Peter with Pastor Ed Taylor here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.